Uh, welcome to Theology on Tap. We get together about once a month here at Russell's Tavern uh, to have good conversations. Uh, anybody's welcome, and we're delighted to have uh, so many new faces with us tonight. I think it may have something to do with our speaker. Uh, the Reverend Hope Wells Jernigan uh, is currently the executive director of Magdalene St. Louis, a, com- yeah, a community of... Uh, a community of recovery and support for women uh, who have had lives of sexual exploitation and addiction. Uh, Holy Communion is really proud to partner with Magdalene. It has been a real adventure uh, to get to work with them this year. And uh, Hopi has become uh, a really trusted colleague um, and a great voice in our pulpit. And I'm really glad she said yes to come tonight. Uh, before she was at Magdalene St. Louis, uh, Hopi was a chaplain at the Episcopal School in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, before that, she was a seminarian at the General Theological Seminary in New York, and we forgive her for that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, b- before that, and most importantly, she is an alum of the Rockwell House Campus Ministry <laughs> at Washington University. Uh, and there's a number of Rockwell House folks here tonight. Um, it really is a delight. Uh, this topic, I think, is so important right now. Uh, how does the faith community intersect with everything that is going on from Me Too uh, to just the incredible stories that are being told and believed and acted on in new ways? And I thought with the incredible work that Hope has been doing at Magdalene, uh, she had a particularly unique uh, lens on this moment in our culture and how the church could respond. Uh, and so without further ado, I'd like to welcome the Reverend Hope Wells Jernigan uh, to be our speaker for the audience. Hi, everybody. Can, can everybody, especially towards the back, can you all hear me and see me all right? Okay. Um, so as Mike said, uh, what I've been doing for the last two and a half years here in St. Louis is I'm the executive director of Magdalene St. Louis. And it's a community for women who are survivors of sexual exploitation. So that means women who have at some point in their lives had to trade sex for survival, for money, for food, for drugs, for safety, for shelter. They also are all survivors of addiction. And so we provide a home where they can come and live together and it's, we call it an intentional community. It's not a treatment center. There's no overnight staffing. It's their house. They call each other sisters. We can house up to 11 women at a time, and they can stay for up to two years. In that time, we do have support staff who are there during the day to help get them connected with health care, mental health care. They do a lot of group therapy, a lot of trauma therapy. These are women who have survived multiple traumas throughout their lives usually starting when they were small children in their home, typically physical or sexual abuse. Um, We also provide job training through our social enterprise, which is called Bravely. And um, this is one of the Bravely products. We we sell um, apparel and accessories. The women are eligible for employment there. They earn a living wage on day one of their employment, and they learn on the job essential and um, valuable skills that can be transferred to lots of different career paths once they graduate our program. So we basically do everything we can to support them in recovery and help them build new lives. But it's their community. And it's really, my time spent with them 
um, has been really eye-opening in the ways I've understood a lot of these issues that are now being talked about so openly. Um, but I guess uh, I'll start with the fact that when Mike asked me to do this, I said, great, you know, I'll, I'll come and share what I know. Um, and then I saw what he posted on Facebook as the event. It said faith and feminism. I was like, oh my gosh, like those are huge and broad <laughs> topics. Um, and I don't think I'm an expert on either of them. Um, I'm an ordained Episcopal priest, and I'm a woman. So I guess that makes me somewhat experienced with matters of faith and feminism. Um, but I don't know that I would consider myself to have the most up-to-date knowledge um, or be some kind of expert or have a ton of training in talking about this. But what I do have is I've spent um, time in community with women who have experienced pretty much the worst of what our world has to offer. And I've also, I also spend a lot of time on social media, so I see like a lot of what the discussion is and where it's going. And so I just offer to you all just what I see, what I've experienced, what I believe, and as a, as a conversation starter. Um, so I figured I would talk kind of about three different things. And Mike, will you tell me when I'm getting close to the end of my time? Okay. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is how my understanding of feminism and feminist issues changed when I started working with the women at Magdalene. Uh, the second thing I want to talk about is um, sources from my faith that have inspired me as a woman. Um, resources especially that are empowering. And then the third thing I'm going to talk about is how I consider feminine to be a practice, like faith is a practice. Um, so I guess I'll dive in. I, um, I was lucky to go to a progressive high school and a liberal arts college, watch you, um, and took gender studies classes in high school and college um, and felt like I kind of got it about feminism and what it was. Um, and what the point was, and called myself a feminist proudly for a long time. Um, and then I started working at Magdalene, and started talking to women who have literally been bought for their bodies. And um, everything really kind of changed at that point, because what I thought I knew and what I thought I had experienced was just this small sliver on this huge spectrum of violence and oppression against women. And so I had known just the tiniest bit, and the women were telling me stories that just kind of blew me away. And I couldn't believe that we existed in this same place, and that what I thought I was doing, kind of by st standing up, <clears throat> was just the very, at the very edge of this spectrum. So, and especially when this Me Too discussion started getting popular, I, at the same time, felt, um, empowered and excited and really frustrated. And I felt empowered and excited because I was like, everybody's talking about it. Everybody has something to say. Everybody's contributing so this is a wave of voices that are rising. But I also felt really angry because I've been trying to raise these voices from women who have experienced the worst of the worst. And we struggle for funding. And we struggle for that same kind of platform to tell the story of women who are bought, women who, while they're 
involved in sexual exploitation, exploitation are raped and hit and abused time and time and time again. And so as we have been trying for so long, and uh, the Magdalene St. Louis has only been around for two and a half years, but we're modeled after a program that's been around for 20 years. And we've struggled to get that, to get that same kind of platform, right? To say this matters and this has happened. And it's frustrating that some Hollywood actresses can, can say this has happened and me too. And suddenly it's like this media frenzy. And, and yet we're still struggling to kind of tell the story at Magdalene. We're still struggling to get everybody to believe that what's happening to women on the street is a part of the same conversation as what's happening in the workplace. So it's frustrating. And I do think that it's all on this spectrum of objectifying women, treating them as less than human, whether you're being harassed on the street or picked up on the street. It's all a part of the same thing. And so I've been challenged to listen to the very difficult stories so that I can better understand how it all is a part of the work that all of us are responsible for. I think it's also, what's also been interesting about my work at Magdalene is I've realized how much we all participate in our own oppression sometimes and how we're often forced to because there's some things that we just have to continue to do to get through the day, to be able to keep fighting the fight. I was thinking about this. Um, do you all remember St. Louis Business Journal did this um, top 40 women, business women, and um, they did like a photo essay like last year, and they asked each woman who was being honored to bring in a pair of shoes that represented her. And so they, they photographed her with her shoes. And it was pretty controversial because I don't know, would we ask men to bring in their shoes to represent them for a photo shoot? Um, so there was like a lot of backlash and a lot of people really angry and I was really frustrated about it because I was like, come on, like, can we move beyond 1987 and um, somehow like just have <coughs> women choose to represent themselves how they want. Um, but then there were a lot of people who were saying, well, why would a woman even participate in this photo shoot? She's at fault for even participating. If, if she were a true feminist, she, wouldn't have, she would have said, no, I'm not doing this. And I think that the problem with that is that I don't think it's on just the women to refuse to participate. And I also think that sometimes we have to choose really carefully which forms of oppression we're willing to participate in in order to just keep going, right? Then maybe there's a woman who's like, okay, this is ridiculous that I have to bring in my shoes, but now I'm going to get some uh, attention on the thing I'm doing, and I think it's awesome, and I want more people to see it, right? And so I feel like we're constantly torn. We're constantly having to, I feel like, be pulled, um, in our awareness of what is happening to women and in our fight to just kind of get through the day and keep going. Another thing that I realized working at Magdalene is um, how, how much people feel like they're not on the same spectrum of experience. So I want to I say this. I don't think that sexual harassment is the same as a woman who's being bought and sold. 
They're not the same, but I think they exist on the same spectrum. They're two extremes. Um, but it's been really amazing to me how people, many people feel as if those are two completely unrelated experiences, that they have nothing to do with one another. And I think that really what they have in common is that we're, it's people refusing to see women as created in the image of God. That if you're going to objectify a woman, if you're going to see her as less than her full person, if you're going to see her for her body only, or if you're going to buy a woman for sex, that all of that is refusing to see women as equally created in the image of God. I also want to take a minute to say that I'm talking a lot about men, women, and I understand that gender exists on the spectrum also. Um, we work with women at Magdalene who identify as women, so that's why a lot of the language I'm using is about women and men. Um, I recognize that there, there's a spectrum there, and that there are also plenty of victims of sexual exploitation <coughs> who are transgender and men. Uh, it's just that my work happens to focus on people who identify as women. So I go back. Okay, so I was saying I feel frustrated that people don't um, see all of this as on the same on the same plane, and. An example is um, people get on our mailing list, which you can do by going to magdalenestl.org, um, and they subscribe, and we send out emails every once in a while, like talking about sales of the bravely items or kind of what's going on at the house, big accomplishments. We send out you know fundraising emails. We sent out one recently that was promoting a 15% off sale for Bravely in honor of the Women's March and in remembrance of the Women's March from last year and how big and important that was. And um, every once in a while I check to see who has unsubscribed from our mailing list. And we got one unsubscribe that said, I do not support the values of the Women's March. And I thought, how strange that they wanted to be on the mailing list for Magdalene St. Louis to support our work, but they didn't support the values of the Women's March. And I, I thought, I don't know how you can support women who have been trafficked and not support empowering women and women who are using their voices to stand against oppression. It, to me, it's the same thing. Um, so that's a little bit about, I could tell you so much more about my experience at Magdalene. I'm going to shift a little bit now to more of my kind of theological background and my experience of the faith. Um, I grew up all my life in the Episcopal Church. I'm married to an Episcopal priest. Um, who's a man. Um, I always had male clergy in my church growing up. I didn't ever have an experience of a female priest. Um, and in college, that was true. Um, and I believe that the Episcopal Church still is quite rooted in a male-centered theology and male-centered liturgy, male-centered worship. Um, and so it was a bit of a struggle to see how I fit in, and um, to, uh, and then even more of a struggle to find the symbols, the people, the institutions that helped bring about a faith that felt empowering as a woman. Um, a few places that I found it. One is um, my husband and I traveled to Turkey, and we spent a lot of time in Hagia Sophia, which was a church and then it was converted into a mosque, <coughs> and then it was converted into a museum. And they, the, when it was converted into a mosque, they covered up a lot of the really beautiful mosaics. Um, 
And then once it was turned into a museum, they started to uncover these, inc this incredible, these incredibly beautiful mosaics. But the thing that really actually spoke to me was that this was this huge church that was built by early Christians, and they named it Hagia Sophia, which means holy wisdom. And Sophia is a woman's name, and it's a female word. And that's where I first thought, and then I said to my husband, I was like, why aren't there any churches, like an Episcopal church named like Church of the Holy Wisdom? What a cool name. Mm -hmm. um, but that's when I started to identify this, this female aspect of faith and spirituality. I mean, that's not when I started, so I was that was not that long ago, but that's an image that really spoke to me. Um, I had to, I got to spend a weekend with middle school girls um, <laughs> when I lived in Florida and was a school chaplain, and they asked me to, um, to come up with some biblical examples of women, and their first idea was to do like self-esteem. And I came back and I said, well, what if instead of self-esteem, we did compassion? Because I actually think that everybody can be truly empowered by compassion. Um, and I think it actually drives you further towards <coughs> a sense of self when you know how to be there with somebody else. Um, so I was looking at images of compassionate women in the Bible. Um, And there were, and, and how to have compassion for women in the Bible, because a lot of the stories of women in the Bible aren't great. Um, there are a lot of stories of women being like the bad guy, um, Eve, <laughs> you know, um, Jezebel. I mean, there's there are lots of stories of women who, um, when you first look at it, are are they're seen as like the victims, or they're seen as. Um, ones who don't hold much power. Um, I, th I think especially about, uh, one of the women I like the most is the Syrophoenician woman who comes to Jesus, and Jesus, she's begging for Jesus' healing and grace, and Jesus says, you know, I, I don't um, serve your kind, and she, and he made this reference to um, basically dogs and saying that, you know, we don't, throw um, this to the dogs and kind of was comparing her to a dog and she came back and said, but even the dogs will gather the scraps under the table. And I love how she so fiercely advocated for herself in that moment and for what she needed. And again, that sometimes we have to even take on our own oppression to be, our ad be advocates for ourselves. Um, there was another biblical story I was going to tell you guys about and it has totally just left my mind, so I'm gonna, I'm just gonna move on. Um, and I wanna talk finally about feminism as a practice and faith as a practice. Um, because one of the things that I feel most frustrated by is I feel like I finally get it. Like I like read a bunch of articles that people are sharing on Facebook and you know, a lot of them start with like, you're doing this wrong. You know, like this is like you're eating French fries wrong. You're, you know, the the way you've been making French toast all your life is wrong. You know, you guys, do you guys know what I'm talking about? These articles, like every, yeah. like everything you knew about Mardi Gras is wrong. I don't know. Like it's just, 
And I read a bunch of those about like feminism, you know, like you're doing feminism wrong, or I learned a lot about like white tears. And um, I learned a lot about how white women take up a huge space in the feminist um, dialogue and how it'd be better if we took up less. So, which is weird because I'm like standing up here, like taking up all this space, talking about faith and feminism. Um, but I kept wanting to get to that, that place where I could be perfect at it. And I realized that's actually part of my being socialized as a woman is that kind of perfectionist tendency to please, to be perfect, to get it right. Um, but I also realized that, that um, when I feel uncomfortable, when I'm being challenged, when someone says you're doing this wrong, that I don't have to give it up. And I don't have to be frustrated. I can actually lean into it. And because there's something that's making me uncomfortable, so maybe it's time for me to listen, which is actually quite similar to how I feel about faith. That if there's something that's making me uncomfortable in my faith, if there's something that just is speaking to me and won't leave me alone, or if there's something about my faith where I'm feeling like, oh, I wish I could just pray more or do better or sin less or whatever it is, then that's actually the point where I need to like step a little bit closer to the thing that makes me uncomfortable and learn and listen. And so I've learned over time that, that I see feminism as a practice because I don't think that there's ever like achieving the perfection. Like I, I don't think that there's ever, that I'm ever gonna say the perfectly right thing. Um, and that there are plenty of teachers around me all the time and it's important for me to listen. There are times for me to speak. Um, but that it's always growing. And it's gonna, it's there's not gonna be perfection until like honestly, like women are actually seen as, as important as men. And women are gonna have all of the same rights that are afforded to men, and the same choices. So I think that's a lifelong practice. And so, and I feel the same about faith, and even more so because I don't think there ever is that perfection like until, you know, until <laughs> the end of time. Um, so it's about leaning into the places that make me feel uncomfortable. It's about listening to people who <coughs> have different perspectives and who challenge me. And um, to remember that a practice is a day at a time, a minute at a time, uh, one voice at a time. Um, I think that's about, yeah. that's about it for now. And I wanna, we created some questions. I'm gonna turn it over to Mike and yeah, so, um, you all. If you've not been before, the way that we run this is we, have a little bit of a chance to listen. Uh, and then uh, on your tables, I snuck around and I put sheets of paper that have questions on them. And we're gonna spend the next 20 minutes or so talking at our tables about these questions. So, uh, excuse the typos, Toby and I came up with these and then I neglected to type them up and so I kept them up today and I missed a couple of them. So, when did you first hear the word feminism? What was the context? Has your definition of feminism shifted at all? What icons of feminism do you find in faith? You've heard some of Hopi's. That is to say, we're in scripture, we're in worship, we're in the examples of women in history, we're in architecture. Uh, do you find images of women with whom you identify and to whom you look, or to whom you look? Especially given the misogyny that has often been taught alongside faith. And then the third, how do you practice your faith? How do you practice feminism? Are there practices that re bring these two, EWO, bring these two together? So you've got a topic, talk amongst yourselves, 
Uh, and we'll come back together in about 20 minutes and have some question and answer with open. Oh, okay. <laughs>